0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Transfiguration is a moment in the time of Christ on earth that is perplexing on some level, glorious on some others, and really overshadowed no pun intended, I guess, if, if there is a pun there to be had. But overshadowed by something even greater. Now, when we think of the transfiguration, we are tempted to think wrongly about it. When we think of the, te- of the, of the transfiguration of Christ, we need to take into account context. And the context for our text for today Is worthwhile because if you're interested in that first verse, after six days, and you may be asking yourself, six days after what, right? What happened? At, what happened six days prior to this? Maybe that's important, right? So we go back and we see that six days prior, there was a great occasion where. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightfully says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Right. And then, a little bit later, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So, Six days after that, (laughs) think about that. Six days after a momentous confession of faith and almost simultaneously a momentous fall from grace for Peter. And after this, Jesus also says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain by themselves where he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking talking with him. What are they talking about? Well, St. Luke supplies this for us from his account of the Transfiguration, and they are talking about Jesus' departure. In Greek, it's his exodus, the time where he will die, the time where he will pour out his blood for the sins of the whole world. That is what they are talking about. They're not talking about the weather. They're not talking about who was better, whether Moses did greater things or... Or whether whether Moses did greater things, or whether um, whether Elijah did, what their heavenly conversation is about is the death of Christ. something to consider for us, because the transfiguration, like I said, creates a temptation for us to see things wrongly. to see this as the moment that Jesus was talking about a few verses before, saying, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will will reward each according to his works. That's not the fullness of the glory of Christ. To be transfigured the way that he was is not the fullness, but we think that it ought to be, just like Peter did. And Peter, seemingly learning his lesson, sort of, right? says a bit sheepishly, Lord, it is good that we are here, right? It's good that we're here, Lord. Um, Should I build three tabernacles? uh, One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah? Well, meaning Peter misses the mark again, just like we do oftentimes, right? So much so that while he was still speaking, that is to say, Peter probably would have just kept on going and kept putting his foot further and further into his mouth until the bright cloud, the glory cloud, the same cloud we can assume rightfully that that was on the tabernacle through the Exodus. That same bright cloud of glory surrounded them. And a voice from the cloud, the unmistakable voice of God the Father. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well-pleased, listen to him. Peter, be quiet. Be quiet, Peter. Pay attention. Learn. Be a disciple of my son. This may be a harsh rebuke, because after all, Peter meant well, right? Peter meant well, and good intentions are always a good thing, right? Not so much, because rightfully so, when the disciples heard this voice, heard this rebuke, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. How often are we confronted with the consequences of our good intentions? How often are we Punished, even though we think we're doing the right thing. And how often do we fall on our faces in terror because of it? How often do we miss the mark? How often do we miss the point? Where is God's glory being shown? Is God's glory being shown in how good things are going? Is God's glory being shown in the things that we think that it ought to be? Who's leading here? Who's the one who's in charge? Who's the one that is guiding? Are we, like Peter, not thinking about the real consequences of things, more often than not? Are we, like Peter, missing the point? Seeing the beauty of God in a lot of things, but ultimately not focusing on what we should. Because what we should be focusing on is not so pretty. It's not so beautiful to our natural eyes what we should be focusing on. Because what happens after this account is that they come down off of that mountain. They come down and they go into the valley. Literally, Christ walks through the valley of the shadow of death, because after this point, he does not go on continuing to shine brightly for everyone to see. He goes on to be shamed, to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be struck, to be whipped, to be bloodied, to be nailed to a cross. to breathe his last breath and to die for you. That's what Christ faces after this seemingly glorious time. And knowing this, knowing that this is what is going to happen, Jesus, as his disciples have fallen flat on their faces, rightfully out of fear of God, Because what they did not see, now they understand, that the Lord should be feared. But Jesus, knowing what he will do, comes, and he does not rebuke them further. He does not say, serves you right, that's your place. He does not say, get lower. He comes, and he says, well, he touches them first. And then he says, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one, not Moses, not Elijah. They could have still been there, but they did not see them. They did not even see themselves, but they only saw Jesus. Our focus as Christians is Christ, not as he is transfigured and brightly gleaming white, but as he is darkened, as he is scarred and bloody and beaten and nailed to the tree. Because on that cross, we see his glory being shown for us. The world does not see it, the world hates it. It is a stumbling block, it is foolishness to the world. But for us, it is the height of God's glory that the son of man must be lifted up on the cross so that the whole world would be drawn to him. The glory of the cross is our focus. This is the focus of Moses. Excuse me. This is the focus of Moses um, and Elijah when they're talking to Christ. Their focus is on the cross. Their conversation is about the miraculous and wonderful and ultimately gracious thing that God will do in his death. So much so, it's so much so, it's so important, I should say, that as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell no one about what you saw until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. That Transfiguration is not the point. The point is that the Son of Man must go to another mountain. That he must go there and he must die for the world. And this is our light. Where the world sees darkness, we see light. When the world sees a horrible thing, of a man hanging on the cross. In fact, it's it's kind of funny. Our sinful flesh does the same thing, right? Sometimes we might see a crucifix, kind of like this, right? Sometimes our sinful flesh can see that crucifix and say, how horrible, how barbaric, how atrocious. In fact, sometimes I find myself with our daughter Charlotte, at, We have a few crucifixes in our home. And sometimes, well, we always have her try and say hi to Jesus and things like that. But she always wants to kiss him. (laughs) And when I I really stop to think about it, I say, it's a little odd, isn't it? Our little baby, our 17-month-old baby, wants to kiss the head of a man who's pinned to a cross. The world might see that and say, It's very strange, very weird. It's out of the ordinary. But for us, it is light. As Peter says, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That for us, the prophetic word of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins the darkness that, the, that that world sees is our light. So much so that whatever the world would say is light, we can say is darkness. That he is our guiding light. He is our light that shines through the dark place. Because through him, there is truly life. That through him, there is grace. There is mercy. And there is Forgiveness of sins. So as we go forward from here in this Transfiguration Day, as we go forward, let us fix our eyes on that cross of Christ. Because from here in the church here, that's exactly what we will do. We get down from the mountain. We go down into the valley of the shadow of death. Not to beat ourselves up not to flagellate ourselves and make ourselves feel worse because somehow that gains God's glory, but because we are in sorrow for our sin, but trusting in God that he has washed away that sin by the blood of Christ. So as we go forward here, may the light of Christ that is shown on the cross shine through you so that you would be sustained to that great day when the morning star rises, when the morning star rises um, and enlightens, when the morning star rises and enlightens your hearts, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.